After about two years in our study, and uh, I am a bit slow when it goes to things, but I'm glad we've gone through it verse by verse here as we've gone. We come down to chapter 16, and we still have a, a few messages left here out of the book. I want to say a special thank you to those that filled in last week, and especially to Nick, who uh, preached last weekend as well, and for... Uh, all those that uh, participated, we had a chance to get away for a week, and uh, just uh, it was a good restful time, and uh, glad to be back, though. We, we missed you, all right, just so you know, all right? I don't know if you missed us, but hey, that's all right. <laughs> but uh, Mark chapter 16, and we're going to look at that, verses 1 to 8. <clears throat> now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. In entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And, but he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. And so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray. God, again, we open up your word. We recognize it. It comes from you, and you have preserved it these many centuries so that today we can hold the word of God in our hands. We can read it here before us. We can open it and expound it. We ask, Lord, though, that you might open it for us first and help us to understand this. And, Lord, help us to appreciate the resurrection of Christ. And we thank you for that wonderful message on that day when the angel said he is risen. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to probably one of the more familiar texts in the Bible because if uh, most people come to church in the course of a year, they come on Christmas and they come on Easter. And so they usually hear an Easter message, and this would be one of those texts that people would look to and turn to. Of course, it is nearing the end of the gospel account of uh, the life of Christ, and you have the account of the resurrection. And this is the historical record, the biblical record, according to Mark. And we we look at this, and we're going to go down through it here this morning. We find here these women, they're named, and they come to the tomb. And remember, last time when we left the gospel of Mark, Jesus had been crucified and had died, and then we looked at Joseph of Arimathea last time we came together two weeks ago, and Joseph was one of the men, along with Nicodemus, that was able to take the body of Christ and have it buried, and it was buried hastily on that Friday afternoon before sundown. Sundown would have brought in the Sabbath, and on the Sabbath day, of course, it was uh, in the law, uh, they were commanded not to touch a dead body on the Sabbath day, the Jews were. And so they were in, just in accordance with the law and the practices of the Jews, they wanted to get the body of Christ off the cross and hastily taken care of. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, that evening that was done, we know they wrapped his body and they placed it in a tomb, the tomb of Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. 
And it was a tomb where no man had, had uh, before been buried or no one had been buried. It was a new tomb. And it was going to be used for the purpose of putting the body of Christ. And though it was not going to be there very long. That night, Saturday night, began on a Friday evening on our schedule. The Jews begin their days officially at sundown. And so that would have ushered in the Sabbath day. And then the following day on the first day of the week, Sunday morning on our calendar, the women came back to the tomb and there they uh, were welcomed by an angel or surprised by an angel. And there he announced the resurrection of Christ. And if you read the other gospel writers, they all carry with them uh, very similar details, but some of them have different details, not contradictory, but again, a harmony of things uh, where uh, various things are, are mentioned and there are more details if you get all of, read all the gospel writers on this account. But you do have uh, this one with angels. Now, some have said, how is it that Jesus was dead three days in the grave? Because it says on the third day he rose again. And how is it that it really, if you counted and you said, well, Friday night he died or Friday late in the afternoon he dies. And then you have Saturday and then you have Sunday morning at sunup, his body is already risen. All right. And so it's really not three full days, but it's parts of three days. Just so you know that. Again, I explain that that Friday was the day he dies and his body is taken off the tomb, and on that Friday, it's put on the, into the tomb. On Saturday, it, it is there, and then on Sunday uh, morning, in that next day, because you're on the next, the third day at that point, he's risen again. So when the scripture says, on the third day, he rose, as Jesus said he was, that is perfectly true. But it is not a full period of, of 72 hours, okay? So that you know, they're not 24-hour days fully. And uh, that is not a contradiction, but rather just an explanation. That's all it is. The scripture is clear on that. Um, and some have tried to argue differently and tried to put the, the death of Christ further back in the week, like on a Thursday or on a Wednesday, and to make it up for those three days. And the Bible says the days in which he died, just before Sabbath, which is Saturday. So you, you know how that's the seventh day of the week. Anyways, enough said about that, but I want to move on because we go to this, uh, this verse 1. And we know that the women had come that morning early to bring spices. And they were going there and they were going to prepare the body. Okay, Now, there was a problem because there was a stone that had been rolled against that tomb and had been sealed and put in place. And we know from the other gospel writers, there were guards that were even posted. And I don't know how these women knew that or figured out that they could somehow get in there and uh, cover the body with spices that were associated with death. And it was sort of part of a, a burial process, also part of a mummification process. Not that they completely, the Jews did not mummify like the Egyptians did, but they would cover the body with uh, various uh, spices, including, remember at the birth of Christ, we had gold, frankincense, and myrrh that were given. Myrrh was the uh, kind of a, an oily pitch that was contained in different vessels and that was actually spread across the uh, the body and also in the wrappings the linen wrappings on bodies and it was used to both uh, cover the smell of death because it was a very fragrant uh, it's actually taken out of roots by the way and it is through roots that are crushed and so you have the the word myrrh has the word meaning to be crushed in it very interesting that that would be the spice that would be used to the death of Christ, right? And by the way, the persecuted church in the book of Revelation is Smyrna, same root, the crushed church, right? 
And uh, very interesting, the words that the Bible uses. They're all important, aren't they? The women had come that morning and they were going to prepare the body further. Only one problem. When they get there, the stone is rolled away and there's no Jesus, no body. All right? And they're afraid. They're, they're amazed. They're uh, worried. As the Bible says here in the New King James, alarmed. And that's the word that is used in the Greek to be brought to a point where you're alarmed by something. Something is a wake-up call. And it's quite a wake-up call because as far as they know, the body should still be there. Even though Christ had told them, clearly told them, that he would be raised up on the third day. And so the angel uh, comes along and, or is there and tells them that. Uh, interesting thing about angels, because whenever God wants to send a message directly from heaven, uh, there are biblical instances where he did that himself, and he spoke with an audible voice, as he did at the baptism of Christ, right? Right at the very beginning of the book of Mark. And you have a voice from heaven, God the Father saying, this is my beloved son, right? And, and Jesus is baptized, beginning his public ministry, identifying at the very start of his ministry, the death that would occur some three years later when he would die on a cross. And as he rose out of the water, a picture of the resurrection also. That's why believers... Uh, when we go through believer's baptism and we go immersed in the water, uh, it is a picture of the death of Christ and an identif- identification with the death of Christ and then being raised up to walk in newness of life. And it is just an outward picture of what has already gone on in the inside. Jesus did that to identify with his own death. But you know, God not only spoke from heaven various times, he would also send messengers, angels. And the word angel means that. It's one who's a messenger. And this, in this instance, we find that there is a, uh, an angel, and he's identified as angel, but he's identified as a young man here sitting, but he's arrayed in white raiment, and he has this glowing picture to him, you know. And he's none other than a messenger sent from God to declare that Jesus is not there, but that he is risen. And it's interesting, throughout Scripture, you find numerous occasions where angels were present uh, in various forms or messages, Uh, And way back into the book of Genesis, chapter 18 and 19, you find angels there, uh, warning of the impending destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You have also the deliverance that angels were used there for Lot to deliver him out of Sodom as judgment fell. You have later on an angel of the Lord who mentions uh, the birth of Samson. And uh, you have the announcement to the birth of John the Baptist later on in the New Testament. Back up in the Old Testament, still like the, the book of Daniel, we're studying that in our Sunday school hour with the uh, adults. And there is an angel, his name is Michael, actually, Daniel 10. He comes and delivers God's specific prophetic message to Daniel in that chapter. And you have also uh, angels involved in the announcement of the birth of Christ or the conception of Christ, right? And also at his birth as well. All those are places where angels were used. And I say it this way, when God wanted to get a hold of people's attention and really make sure that his message got out correctly and clearly, he used angels to do so. And I'm thankful for that. But the angel is not the focus here, just so you know that too. Today our world is caught up in all kinds of spiritual activity and people are looking for angels and there's books on your guardian angel and this kind of that and and people are are looking to see if can we you know can we see angels and all that you know what god in the in the bible never had people focusing on angels he had them focusing on himself and angels are created beings just like man is a created being and they were created to glorify god 
differently somewhat in the way we are uh, man is bound by this flesh and in this realm angels are not although they can appear as the scripture always has them appear as men if they manifested themselves in that form uh, there are other times they appear as fiery creatures like in isaiah chapter 6 the seraphim and in the book of revelation they're talked about as living creatures and also other angels that are there so there are, there are hosts of angels, many of them. But don't get too concerned with them. Be concerned about the message that they bring. Well, that first, what we call Easter morning, was quite a morning, wasn't it? You have this young man uh, who is sitting there. He is none other than an angel. And they recognize that because they were afraid. And that's what the book, uh, the, the end of that section records for us in verse 8 there. Uh, it testifies that they were afraid but they were also alarmed at the very fact that jesus was not there his body was not there there was a wake-up call well there are a number of things here and i want to talk about the message of this easter angel okay the message of the easter angel and the first one in verse six the very first part of verse six i got to get there myself you find uh this angel saying to them that they are not to be afraid and he says in verse if i get there myself all right back up whoop here we go but he said to them do not be alarmed you seek jesus of nazareth who was crucified he is risen he is not here see the place where they laid him and that phrase right here it says do not be alarmed in the king james it says uh do not be afraid i believe or not affrighted and uh, both that carry, like I said, it carries that word. But the Greeks were very specific in their wording, and uh, there are fears that hit people. And that Greek word is phobia, and we use that word today. There are many phobias, right, that you can list off that people have, and v- different disorders that are linked to those fears and all that. But that's not the word that was chosen uh, by the Holy Spirit, as this was penned later on by Mark. It is one that. It says it brought alarm or a reaction out of them. And the best way I can just describe it, and I've already said it, is, is a wake-up call, right? That's what an alarm is, isn't it? It's a wake-up call. Some of you probably had the alarm hit you this morning. Some of you wish you had the alarm, you know, go off. Maybe some of you need the alarm right now. I don't know. But the alarm is there to wake us up. And that's what this was. Up to this point, I could kind of picture these women. They were, by the way, the last of the, the people around Jesus at his death. The rest had fled, other than just a few, and these women were there. Later on, uh, that third day, early in the morning, those women are present, and they are the first to know that Jesus is risen. And there's a lot to be said about these faithful women. And God doesn't exclude them, and they are very important in his word. And don't you exclude the women, okay? Make sure you don't. I'm doing that because I usually am in trouble with my wife, and I want to make sure that I get that good point in, right? No more said, but that's, I'm glad. We'll move on. Be not afraid. Do not be alarmed. And he says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Folks, we need to send out the alarm to tell people that Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. Today, there are many people, and they are probably doing the same thing in the sense that they woke up this morning. Maybe they put on some Uh, some clothes I hope they did anyways and they went out and they went to a church somewhere but you know what they're sitting there and they don't realize that Jesus is risen 
It's possible that people can know about Christ, know about his life, know about his miracles, know about who he was as a good person, but yet not know the power of his resurrection. And the power of his resurrection, my friends, brings salvation. It brings deliverance. And we need to wake up people to do that. I think of that, how various alarms are sounded. Some of you have perhaps... Uh, been in places where an alarm has sounded some way like if you work on a fire department right the pager goes off and the alarm sounds and you have to head out right to a fire call or something like that I remember back in the days when I was in the military and when I was stationed overseas in Europe in Germany and I can remember uh, the height of the cold war 1988 and 89 when things were really tense in times we had about a three-day notice from the time the Soviet military began to move armor and artillery and everything to know that a ground offensive was going to take place. And that's how tight it was all the time. And I was part of a, a scout platoon in an armor division or an armor uh, uh, battalion. And that scout platoon, we were the first to get the notices that something was up. And often it would come maybe 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. I don't know why it always came early in the morning, but it did. And I remember the first thing we would hear in the morning is, Alert! 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 As they went down the hallway and beat on everybody's door, just like that, at the top of their lungs. You know what? You couldn't sleep through it, no matter how hard you tried. And I thought, well, it's so important that you get people up early in the morning to go tell them to get in their vehicles and get ready to go to war. You know what? We have a greater message, my friends. We have a message that Jesus Christ is risen. And my friends... Wake up and let the world know he's alive. He's alive. This angel was there. These women were the first to know. They were privy to special information because they were watching and they were waiting. And they were there when everybody else wasn't. My friends, get up and make sure you're about the Lord's business. One of the parts of the message of this angel was this. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. Don't be worried in the sense that the, there are two aspects of an alarm, aren't there? And I've talked about the first one. First one is there's an urgency. And there was an urgency. Part of the message was that he's risen. But secondly, there was a worry that it was attached to it. What's going to happen now? And that often happens when we are woken to those kind of knocks in the night and there is an alarm that goes off and sounds and there's worry that's attached to it. And that was a worry that was attached to this because Jesus' body was gone. Maybe somebody came and stole it. Maybe they, they put him in the wrong tomb. Maybe we've lost him. Imagine that. Lost, lost Jesus. Well, you know what? You can't lose Jesus. You can't lose him because he's alive and he, he perfectly keeps himself. And you know what? You can't be worried about that in those things. Well, these women may have had many concerns going through their mind. And yet the angel's message is one of peace. Don't worry. And make sure you, you have that. Well, there are a number of things about that. What does that message bring to us? Well, a number of different things. I think of this in, actually, let's go to Second Timothy and uh, verse 1 or chapter 1 verse 7 and i like this because timothy is reminded he says for god has not given us a spirit of fear but of power that's the resurrection kind of power and of love and of a sound mind as a self-controlled kind of mind that's what is the word that is used there and that's the kind of mind that he gives to the believer you know i'm glad because in a world that seems so out of control in a world that is so chaotic, there is a group of people that I know, and they are known as Christians, and if they're truly following the Lord, you know what? He gives them a sound mind. He gives them 
a spirit that is not filled with fear. We can face the, the things of this earth and the worst of the worst, and we can face those things and we can be with the Lord, right? Because of his power, because of the love by where he loved us with an everlasting love. Oh, I'm thankful for that. Well, <clears throat> not only that, but uh, we find out also that he is the one who is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Another great aspect of the peace of God that is given by the resurrection of Christ is that very fact, as it's recorded there in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that he's able to give us that salvation that's not just temporary, but for the uttermost, okay, forever. And he's able to do that, and he also makes intercession constantly. He never quits. I'm thankful that the Lord is like that. He also is able to give us peace in the midst of things. I like what in uh, the book of Revelation, by the way, in uh, Revelation 1, uh, verse 13, you have here uh, the apostle John as he sees the resurrected Christ, the glorified Christ, and that the Lord Jesus tells him to write these things. And look what he says. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. That's what he sees. He recognizes him because John was the one who sat with him, remember, at the Last Supper. He was also the one who walked with him as a disciple and saw his miracles. He was also one that was able to be there later on when the women came and said, He's not there, He's risen. And John as a follower of Christ, as a disciple, knew that. Later he was commissioned as an apostle to go out. And at the end of his life, nearing the end of his life, he receives the, the, what we know as the book of the Revelation. And it is there in the last book of the Bible. He says, One like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. And his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as it refined in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. That's that's a a scary sight. (laughs) He was so overtaken by this image of the glorified Christ that he fell at his feet, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm thankful that Jesus doesn't leave us there in our fears, but he tells us, Don't be afraid. Don't fear. He goes on to say this, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades, of hell, that's death, and of death. And I'm glad that he holds the keys of death. I'm glad that Jesus, by his own resurrection, proves that he has the keys over death itself in those things. Oh, he is the Lord, and he is powerful. He is risen on all those things. Well, we go back to our uh, John chapter 14. <clears throat> And some of these things, again, are, are parts of the, uh, um, what, what I call the aspects of his resurrection, what, the reason why you know, it's important. And this is another one, John chapter 14, verse 16 to 18. He says, I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. <clears throat> the spirit of truth, be whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. 
But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I, am not, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And I'm thankful for that promise that Christ gives. Now, Jesus is referring to the very fact that, remember, coupled with the book of Hebrews, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He didn't leave us as orphans at his death. Now, that is the case if you, you know, think about it, your parents die, uh, and, you know, it's often associated, we think, of orphans as children that are without parents, but really, you get older, and if your parents die before you, you know, the, you, it dawns on you one day, I don't have any parents anymore. It's me. I'm alone. You know what? Christ never leaves us alone. And by his very fact that he died and then rose again, he comes back, and you know what? He has not left us as orphans. That's a great promise, isn't it? That's the power that's found in his resurrection. It's the abundant life that he gives us as well in all of that. The third thing is this, is um, he is, he's not here. <laughs> and I, that's what the Bible says there back in the, in the book of Mark there, uh, chapter 16, verse 6. He says, he is not here. He is risen. He is not here. And I think of that because you have the peace of God that is given with this message of the angel. You have the power of God that is seen because he says he's risen. But you also have this, the potential that is found in the statement. The potential is this, he's not, he's not here. These women, when they think about this and as all this takes place and they're hearing this message for the first time and the angel delivers that message and when he says the phrase, he is not here, you think about what is locked up in that statement. That's why I say there's potential to it. You could have, all of a sudden, you know, it turns, everything turns on a dime, right? You have these women that are confused, they're afraid, and now they're hopeful. They're hopeful because he's not here. He's not in the tomb. It, 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 it adds to the very fact that that's what Jesus told them. That he wouldn't be there. He told them, I, was the re- I am the resurrection and the life, right? He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live, right? He told them that at the death of Lazarus in that. And the potential that is found in that very statement. And I think of that because in the locked up in that is this, that he is the one who's acting as our intercessor. He's the one who acts as our advocate. Because Jesus is alive today, as John put it, we have an advocate, which is Jesus Christ, the righteous. I'm glad that today he's speaking on my behalf. And his payment for my sin was accomplished, and he ensures that my payment was accomplished because he acts as my advocate, my lawyer. He pleads my cause before the very throne of God. He constantly watches over us. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.13, We have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in every way was tempted like we are, including death, my friends. I'm adding that part, but including death. And yet without sin, the Bible says, and yet without sin. Oh, I'm thankful that he's there. I'm thankful that he's there even in the midst of trials of this life, but even more so when I pass from this life. He's there. 
In the book of Acts, chapter 7 and verse 55, you find Stephen there. And Stephen, who is, he's being killed. He's being murdered. And he, it's a gruesome scene as, as those uh, the keepers of the law, the Pharisees, have gathered these zealots, they're called. They were a group of the Pharisees that believed they were doing God a favor by rounding up anybody who was considered a, a, hypo, a hypocrite or was preaching heresy, and they would kill them if need be lock them up or kill them and Stephen was one that was proclaiming Jesus Christ and his resurrection and his sermon is recorded there in Acts chapter 7 and at the end of that sermon he gives an invitation but the invitation isn't accepted it isn't one that they come forward and repent of their evil deeds and turn to Christ instead they turn to Stephen and they gnash on him with their teeth that's what he uh, Acts 7 says and it says they, they took up stones and they began to keep, stone him to death, throwing those stones at him. They laid their garments at the feet of a man named Saul. He was one of their leaders. Saul later would become the Apostle Paul. He would turn to Christ. But you know, as Stephen is lying there and he's dying and he's, every blow is nearer to death as these stones are landing... He looks up into heaven and he sees one who is Jesus. And he says, I see him standing at the right hand of God. As Stephen is going out of this world, he's being welcomed by the Savior who is alive and who is standing, who is waiting for his entrance. For the believer, we can expect that at death, I think. I think God gives us that little bit of revelation in the book of Acts so that we might understand what that process might be like, how horrible it might be on this end. But you know what? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, there we are, right in his very presence. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what Paul later would write. And, of course, uh, his marvelous conversion is recorded just one chapter later in Acts chapter 9 in that event. He's our high priest, he, and that is guaranteed that he intercedes on our behalf forever because he's that kind of a savior he's the one who's preparing a place for us remember john chapter 14 jesus said i go to prepare a place for you if he's dead he can't do that he's alive my friends and he today is preparing a place for us in heaven and that goes with what he says here in verse 7 look what he says but he said to them in mark 16 verse 6 here and then uh i want to go to verse 7 <clears throat> but go, tell his disciples and Peter. I like that. that. That's interesting how that lays out. Because remember, Peter was the one that said he would never deny Christ. And where was Peter? He was gone. He had gone out and wept bitterly on that Friday night after sundown in the cool of the evening as the men were there gathering around a fire. And he was on the outskirts of that. And when someone sees him and says, oh, you were with him, he says, I don't know the man. But were you one of his... Fo- no, I don't know the man. Then a little girl comes in. Oh, you're one of them, aren't you? You were with Jesus. I know not the man. And he curses and swears and goes out. And Peter was... Man, most of us had just written him off. Done for. But not God. And not the angel who had God's message. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Make sure Peter's in on it too. I'm not done with him. That he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. What promising words, huh? You will see him. You know, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, 
as Paul later puts it, we of all people would be most miserable. Because all these great things that I've just talked about, they would not be true. And they would be just some fable made up. But you know what? These men, these disciples, Peter included, were after they saw Christ, they went from being these scaredy cats running and hiding in the shadows and hiding in locked rooms, you know, things like that, to being men of boldness. So much so that they would be later accused of filling Jerusalem with their doctrine. What a wonderful testimony that is. And then one by one, they would go out and they would face persecution. And they would face martyrdom. All but the Apostle John were martyred for the faith. And you know, they're some of the greatest evidence of the fact they believed that they really saw Jesus. And they did see Jesus. Because they went out and they willingly gave their life. They would have been the ones that knew that this was a lie, right? Nobody goes out willingly for a lie and goes and kills themselves. They might believing a lie but you know what they would have known whether it was true or not they really would have known if they saw jesus or not they would have uh, touched him and handled him as john later would say and you know they were the ones that went out and they laid down their life one by one peter by the way he would by tradition says that he would be crucified at rome and he would be crucified upside down uh, on a cross Uh, having said before that execution i am not worthy to be killed in the same manner as my lord and he requested that he be crucified upside down and he was and i think of that god wasn't done with peter and he's not done with any of us you shall see him you shall see him oh my friends i'm so glad that his death was like no other death because he died tasting death for every man I don't have to do that. You don't have to do that, but he did. He, his death secured the payment for our salvation, but the victory is found in the resurrection on that third day. Because without the resurrection, nothing else would matter. All that would just mean that death has its way and death has its victory in all of that. I like what Hebrews 7.25 says, and I want to go back to that verse. We looked at it earlier, and I'm going to end with this. Therefore, he also is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I think of that because, you know, Christ's resurrection gives us the opportunity to be saved, not just temporarily, but to the uttermost. To the uttermost. The uttermost is the uttermost. I think it was Mr. Dowie when I was in Bible school, and some of you that have been here for a while remember Mr. Dowie as he come through and fantastic bible teacher and i had him for the book of hebrews actually we went through that and i remember him saying he's able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost and he is he's able to take us out of the gutter and save us to the utter you know and that's no end he ever lives to make intercession for us and because of that there'll never be a time from if you know christ as your savior there'll never be a time where he cannot save you isn't that great I contrast that with, with, with what goes on down here. Some of you might remember this scene from 1981. It was just a couple months after Ronald Reagan had taken the oath of office and become the President of the United States. And in March of 1981, as he was leaving a hotel after a little speaking engagement there in Washington, D.C., he went out and a man named John Hinckley Jr., Uh, drew a revolver and fired off some shots at the president and 
shot President Reagan. The man who was credited with saving President Reagan is pictured there in that picture. Anybody remember his name? No, no, that's not Brady. Brady was down at that point. But this is a Secret Service agent named Jerry Parr. I didn't think you'd know his name. I was actually didn't expect you knew his name. Jerry Parr. Jerry Parr just died, by the way, this year. Ronald Reagan also is dead, isn't he? And it's amazing how history changes. Jerry Parr was 85 when he died, just so you know. He's a lot younger in that picture. Jerry Parr is credited with saving President Reagan because as he pushed him into that limousine, as those shots rang out, one of those shots did catch Lincoln. I mean, Lincoln, uh, Reagan. I'm going way back there. It caught, caught Reagan. And as he pushed him into the limousine, uh, he jumped on top of him, and they got that thing moving and hauling, and he noticed the president began to spit up blood, and he found uh, what he thought was, uh, he thought he had crushed his ribs and jumping on him and all that, but he thought maybe the president's been shot, even though the president didn't know what was happening. It was all so chaotic. And he immediately had them go to the nearest hospital, and they went in there, and literally President Reagan was within just a couple minutes probably of bleeding to death. He had... Uh, one of his major arteries had been hit and in, a bullet lodged into his side and he was bleeding out internally rather quickly. Jerry Parr is known for saving President Reagan. He was known for that the rest of his career and those around him certainly knew that about him. But I look at that and both those men are dead today. Great men, honorable men, I think. Especially, that I think, a Secret Service agent, you know. He went through most of his life. Probably people didn't talk about him, but instrumental. But you know, one of the things that even great men can't do is they can't save forever. They can only do it for one maybe moment or for a small time. But Christ is able to save to the uttermost any that will come to him. That invitation is out today. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can know him today. You can know him without a shadow of a doubt, and he'll become your savior. He tasted death for you, that you might not have to die eternally, separated from God in hell. That's the wonderful gospel message. And my friends, if you'd like to know more about that, I'll be around afterwards. There are others here, and I'd be happy to to show you clearly from the scriptures how you can know that you have eternal life. How you can know. Because that's what the Bible says, you can know. Because of Jesus.